Welcome back to the Metal Exchange. Justin and Chris here with you for another episode. This week, we go back to 2003. We go to France and we cover Adagio's Underworld album. I think it's probably the first French band we've covered on the podcast. But before we get there, how are you, my friend? I know it's been uh, quite the week for you. Yes, it really has. Um, I, 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 I don't know if, if it's going to have to be you or me to break it to Heavenly that we... Um, Went with Adagio <laughs> first, as far as French bands go, but um, yeah, here we go. Uh, I, I am coming off a, uh, a a wild weekend. My sister got married, and uh, it uh, it was wonderful. But uh, I am like way way out of the loop on a lot of stuff, so I'm gonna defer to you for new music and news and pretty much everything else. And I'll just stick to what I know, which is albums that came out 20 years ago. I like it. I like it. And I'll be honest, this was a really interesting week. The last um, 10 days or so, a number of new things came out. And I won't I won't talk about all of them, but uh, new fates, a uh, new Ray Alder, new false memories, a new Art Nation album where I thought the single was really, really good. So I had a chance to listen to all those. But a couple that I really wanted to mention, there's a band out of Boston um, I think they're all Berkeley graduates. They're a prog band called OK Good Night, and they came out with their debut album, The Fox and the Bird. This is like a blend of like prog metal, prog rock, and kind of like alt rock at times. Really, really interesting stuff. Very good band. Um, I actually am going to go see them next month. They're coming to New York City. So I'm going to go check out their show um, with uh, – you know, I'm, I'm just kind of curious. It's a Friday night. I figured I would go check it out. Apparently, they're gaining some buzz, but um, not really in like the metal community. I guess more in the prog rock and the alt rock circles. But there's definitely some some metal on here as well. So I'll post a song of theirs during the week. And in addition to that... I actually that, heard uh, one of know, the songs from that, if you could believe it. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Well, ha- I have no idea how. What did you think? Uh, Nops actually uh, sent it to me. Okay. Um, I listened to the song The Mountain, um, and I liked it. It was good. Um yeah, it's pretty accessible. It's not, I mean, it's quirky, but it's, it's, it's pretty accessible. And, and speaking of Knops, I, I would be remiss if I didn't thank him um, for something. He su- shoots me a text early next week. He's like, have you heard of, and then he gives me the name of a band and, and, a, and, and like a Spotify link to go along with it. I had never heard of this band. I was floored by something he sent me. And so I passed it along to some other people. And for reasons I won't get into uh, at this point, let's just say you will be hearing more about this mystery band. And uh, I cannot wait for what this band has in store. It's some of the best prog metal I've heard in a long, long time. This album has just shot up my kind of best of 2023 list. And I've listened to the album four or five times and I just have it on repeat. So that's a little teaser of something that we will be talking about more and more in the future, but really, really cool stuff from this prog metal band that truly came on my radar out of nowhere. Um, like and a, then like not an to be out- Exa- ex- Exactly, exactly. And not to be outdone by a band that's been on my radar for a long time, but a band that I have known about for, for decades now, and that's Scar Symmetry, who came out with their new album for the first time in, oh God, it's got to be like years since the, the the last one. I want to say like eight years or something like that. They came out with a new album called The Singularity Phase 2 Xenotaph, which I think is basically an extension of their last album, but different. And, and I say that because it 
certainly a scar symmetry. It, it maintains their core melodic death metal sound. But the last album I thought was a little more uh, proggy in certain ways, whereas this is more just straight up melodic death metal. Different, but very, very good. And something that I have, I'm in the middle of listening to it for the second time, but it's, uh, it's pretty good. I have to say it's, 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 I don't know that I like it better than the last one, but I, I definitely are, am enjoying it. So I would, I would recommend that everyone give that a listen as well. Yeah, it's on my list, uh, the ever growing list of things to catch up with, including, uh, previously mentioned Mystery Band, um, who I did hear, uh, one song by and was, uh, definitely impressed. I, I, I definitely have, uh, the rest of the album to look forward to uh, amongst many other albums that I'm working on, including the aforementioned um, Art Nation album. I'm looking forward to checking that out as well. Um, just uh, it's getting hard to keep up. I, I was really doing so well at the beginning of the year, and and I, this it seems to happen to me every year around this time. I just get uh, there's six this, months into the year, it, uh, things take a yeah, dive. Yeah, well, yeah. As as, Je- as Jeff Goldblum would say, life will find a way, and it finds a way to <laughs> keep me from listening to things. Um, but uh, I, I expect I'll, I'll be catching up on stuff. I, I'm, I'm actually really interested in checking out the new Foo Fighters album as well. Um, I, I've been hearing a lot of really good things about it. It's their first album they've done without uh, Taylor Hawkins, who passed away a couple years ago. So. Um, Really curious about that, and I think me and you need to go uh, see them if they uh, if they end up going on tour, which I'm pretty sure they are, because um, I'm pretty sure you haven't seen them before, and I know I haven't. So They're actually on my bucket list. I listened to the new album, and I'll just say a couple of words about it. Um, what you'd expect, a very solid album. I, I'm not going to say it's my album of the year or anything like that, but it was what you expect from the Foo Fighters and they haven't missed a beat despite Hawkins not being in the band. It was just a really solid rock album that you can go back to and kind of listen to just about any time. You're, it's, it's something that kind of just puts you in a good mood and they are just wildly, <laughs> despite their fame, I would still say they're wildly underrated. And that's despite being a band that sells out, you know, not only arenas, but pretty much stadiums when they, when they, when they want to, um, how about the Super Bowl halftime show? I'm just throwing that out there. Uh, it would be nice. I feel like it's been a while since we had a um, a rock act. Uh, I recall, like in the past, like Aerosmith and Tom Petty and the Rolling Stones, and I always just tend to enjoy those a little bit more than uh, than some of like the hip hop or the or the current pop type stuff. Um, I don't know. Maybe Nightwish. Uh, I, I thought that, that would be cool. Uh, <laughs> yes, when the when the when the game is played in Helsinki, then we will uh, we will ensure Nightwish. Yeah, maybe um, maybe um, like we need to go to like a, a Finnish league hockey game or something. I think that's uh, maybe in the cards. But to your point, I, I if they if they come around and tour and they're anywhere around here, I have to make a point of going because I think it would be a phenomenal live show, and that's just based on everyone I've ever talked to that's seen them has said just a really top-notch quality live act without a doubt i mean even when uh dave grohl injured his leg and he just sat on a throne and and sang from from a throne like the guy just uh he nothing's gonna keep him down so uh it's uh it's definitely on my uh bucket list it's uh my girlfriend jokes with me that um 
she's seen them live and I haven't. So that's really funny. I, I that is really funny. Was it on purpose or was it was she dragged there by somebody I don't, else? You know, I don't really remember what the circumstances were, but you know, I, I try to remind her that I've seen Halloween five times and she hasn't seen them all. <laughs> which to which she to which she rolls her eyes and walks away. So I mean, um, well, forever know, in one, right? Different I strokes mean, for different folks, right? Well, I, I I think she's like really behind the eight ball with that. But then again, we have a metal podcast and. She hasn't been a guest yet, so I guess that tells you everything you need to well, know. Well, when we do our Taylor Swift episode, I'm sure she'll be happy to line right up and, and get in, get on board. Uh, Patreon exclusive, I'm sure. Yeah, it'll be um, it'll be uh, your two daughters and my girlfriend doing the, the Taylor Swift episode. Yeah, I, I'm going to sit that one out, I think. But uh, <laughs> Lord, no, Lord knows she has enough hits. If I, In fact, if I'm not mistaken, I'm sure I was going to save this for the news at the end. But I think she's like now the number one charting pop star of all time or something like 28 or I, I could be wrong with the number but like 28 number one hits or something uh, like that that shock is me. bananas and, and, and i was kind of looking at the the set list and asking uh, my girlfriend's actually going to see her next weekend and um i was asking her like how much of this are you familiar with are you gonna have to you know bone up on some of the like early stuff you know it's I, i'm curious because like we do the same thing when we go to concerts and uh she plays about 40 songs. Uh, it's like a three hour show and it, it's kind of like a march through her career. Like they, it's like a, a Does she do it in order. I don't know if it's chronological. Cause I, I just don't know her material well enough, but it's like, it goes album by album. I'll say that. Um, okay. It's really cool. Like I would definitely enjoy seeing a band do a show in that sort of way. Like say Halloween, just as a, for when, for instance, played a handful of tracks from Walls of Jericho and then a handful of tracks from the Keeper albums and kind of like, you know, no pun intended, march through time, um, <laughs> you know, going through. I, I I feel like with them, you know, that would be like a nine-hour show. But, uh, you know, it's kind of a nice idea. Maybe a band that doesn't have that nearly as much material, maybe like a Sonata Artica, perhaps, or um, even Nightwish would be cool, like if they wanted to bring back some of their... I don't know. I'm pretty sure they had some previous singers before their current one. So, um, is that true? Is that true? Yeah, yeah. At least at least three I could think of um, that were, were were okay. Uh, so, um, yeah, I, I think it's kind of cool. So, um, I'm sure uh, she'll share her thoughts, and then I can relay them to our very many Taylor Swift fans that listen to the podcast. Yes, it's the Metal Exchange brought to you by. Taylor Swift, but let's let's talk about some Adagio. This this was an album, Underworld, that I have vivid memories of picking up, but I'll I'll get to that in a second. What always first of all, there's like a lot of firsts with this. First French band, which we mentioned earlier. Uh first time we we're talking about David Reedman in long form, their vocalist, or at least their vocalist at the time. One of the first neoclassical albums that we've covered. I don't, you know, obviously we did some Ingve, but this is also another one in that kind of vein. Um, yeah, maybe some Symphony X as well. I, I think you could make that argument. But this was an album that came out 20 years ago, and it has, it's one of the albums that it's not my favorite album of all time. I think there's some problems with it, but at the same time, I find myself going back to it a lot. And even to this day, I don't, Really, you know, I'll listen to it at least once or twice a year, every year, and that's going back 20 years. And that says a lot because certain albums just kind of get buried after a while, no matter how much I like them. But this one, this one has stayed in rotation for me for quite a while. 
And I figured what better time to discuss it with their 20th anniversary coming up next month. The album was released July 23rd, 2003. I guess the question I have for you, how familiar are you with Adagio the band, this particular album? Just like, you know, and, and if you recall, when did you first hear them? Um, let's see. I, I honestly, going into this, I probably knew about one song really well, and it happened to be from this album. Um, I think I probably first heard of them when they were announced to play at Prague Power, although I will say I was not at that one, and I will defer to you for, um, details about that show, uh, because I'm almost positive. Don't, don't defer, don't defer to me, because uh, this was my first year of law school. I missed Prague Power 5, oh. and so... This is a uh, this is a little bit of a sore spot for me. I have not and probably will never see this band live, and I it's because I missed this set. Maybe we should have had Snowdy on the show because I know he was at Prague Power Five, and I did not go. But um, it's it's funny because, like I say to myself, I, at the time I was such a rabid fan. It would have been a really cool set to see, but it just it wasn't meant to be because of, you know, other things going on. So, but well, I guess it's for this. you. Is there footage yeah. of this set on the, um, on that prog power DVD, that, that first DVD that had like a bunch of random clips from the first handful of events. I'm trying to remember if I've ever seen like a pro shot version of any of the songs they played that year. So if I'm not mistaken, there is a pro shot version of chosen, which is one of the songs on this album from that festival. So the answer is yes, but I think it's only the one tune. Now, mind you, it's an eight and a half minute rendition. So it's a solid chunk of of music from the band. But I don't know that there was a second song released from that set. I think it was just a a one and done as far as that DVD went. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense because I think that was the case with a number of bands that ended up on that uh on that DVD compilation, but I just, I have some, I do have a recollection that said though, when I first listened to this album, uh, at your behest, I, this time around or in the past, this time, I just didn't realize David Reedman was the vocalist. I just assumed, Oh, well, it's a French metal band. Like I assumed their lead singer was somebody from France. Um, so that was kind of a surprise, but, uh, yeah, like I, I, this band was always on my radar, particularly this album as well as their uh, Sanctus Ignis album, which came out two years prior. And I actually listened to their when they reunited, or I, I don't know if they ever broke up, but it was there was a big gap between uh, Archangels and Black and the Life album that came out in 2017. I definitely listened to Life when it came out, and I remember liking it quite a bit, but. Um, that was probably the first Adagio album that I really listened to start to finish, which is kind of funny because it's it was like not in the that eight year heyday of those first uh four albums. So Yeah. I almost wonder if they would have been bigger if they came out now. I feel like the world is like in a place now where bands like this would have had a bigger chance of I don't want to say blowing up, but relatively speaking, being bigger than they were, you know, twenty years ago. But I want to go through the lineup before we kind of start talking about the music because there, this is a fascinating lineup in, in a number of ways. I, I, Stephen Forte is, or Stefan Forte is the guitar player, virtuoso. He writes all the lyrics. He writes almost all the songs and he is really the, the, the driving force and the mastermind behind this band. And he is 
he plays his guitar so seamlessly and he's got such a distinct neoclassical sound that he is unmistakable in many ways when he writes a song. I think he's a great songwriter and guitar player. But you mentioned you mentioned it earlier, David Reedman from Pink Cream 69 on vocals. And then we get we get gets really interesting. The drummer on this album is a guy by the name of Dirk Brunenberg, and he used to play with Elegy and Ian Parry when with his solo material. So he's kind of got a name for himself, and I'm kind of curious to see if he'll be back with Elegy for the reunion tour. The bass player is a guy who I don't know much about. His name is Frank Hermony, and the keyboard player is a guy by the name of Kevin Codfort who the name probably doesn't ring a bell to you, but he is the producer and kind of helps put together a band that you do know and love, and that's Mirath. Um, so it, there's a lot of different musical um, pieces here. And, and to say nothing of the fact that the album is produced by Dennis Ward, who's been in multiple bands and obviously is famous for his work with Pink Cream 69 and his production work with countless other bands so it's it's kind of like a mini super group in a number of ways or at least in my opinion but it's a band that after i guess after that first run of albums if you will and, and i'm going back to their debut in 2001 sanctus ignis underworld 2003 dominate another two years later in 2005 and then the aforementioned archangels album they kind of cranked out four albums in eight years and then all of a sudden a long hiatus but they weren't getting and maybe that's why they broke up or took went on hiatus but they didn't seem to get the notoriety that other bands at the time were getting in the in the early and mid 2000s i so it's interesting that you you said that you feel like this maybe would have went over better now i feel like this would have if this came out maybe five years earlier because I five find, years earlier yeah i find there's a lot of parallels between this album and, and symphony x's divine wings of tragedy which came out yes. in 1997 um which by the way how the hell we haven't done that album yet have we that's nope. that's insane all right anyway um Maybe that might be coming up soon now that I think about it. But um, I, at least for me, I, I I found a lot of the just the the tone of of the instruments, the the, the bass and, and the guitars in particular sound like they could have come right off of that that album. Um, so maybe if it had come out around that time, as kind of like a almost a French version of uh, the U.S.'s Symphony X, it it just. Um, I got a, 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 a that kind of vibe from this, so I mean, maybe if it maybe it was just kind of a time where I don't know, maybe it was like it felt like it was uh, something that should have come out five years earlier and it came on too late, or you never really know. There's so many things that just you wonder, like why was this not more uh, more recognized? Um, I will say, uh, as far as that lineup goes, I, I I'll never forget. Um, probably was Pat who pointed it out when the first time, first time that Mirath played at Prague power, um, they, their keyboard player was Kevin Codfort. Um, he had come and, uh, I don't know what the reasoning was behind. Um, I don't know if Mirath didn't have a keyboard, a live keyboard player or, or he, the guy couldn't come, didn't get, couldn't get a visa in time. I don't know what the details were, but I just remember, 
Pat pointing out like, oh, that's the keyboard player from Adagio. And that's the kind of conversations you have at Prog Power USA. And that actually makes some semblance of sense. To the- imagine going up to the random person on the street, right? I want to picture this. I work in Brooklyn. I imagine going up to the random person in Brooklyn and be like, did you know? Did you know that the keyboard player for Mirath was actually the keyboard player for Adagio? They would have you committed so fast. I don't right? know. Like they I, would bring... I feel like that wouldn't even land in the top ten insane things that person heard that day. Like you know, <laughs> but it would make no especially sense. He, it would just be especially completely... if he rides the subway. You know, <laughs> that, that's true. That, that is true. But uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe we'll put that theory to the test at some point. But yeah. So Kevin Comfort at, at, at Prog Power. Well, and, listen. And when we walked out of that Halloween show and they were playing uh, Avantasia from a from a food cart. I mean, who knows what to expect? And I do remember at one point, uh, Glenn Harveston, the book, the the Booker. I've been watching too much. <laughs> the promoter for Prog Power saying that he heard um, a, a Murath coming out of a a street meat cart in New York City one time. So I mean, you never know. You probably run into that one guy in New York City who's be like, "Yeah, whatever happened to Adagio? They were great. They were for life." <laughs> Oh man, I love it. I love it. Um, but now, so I guess with the benefit of hindsight, I think the album should have come out in 2015. You think the album should have come out in 1997. Let me say this. And I want, and again, with the backdrop of having said, I listen to this album semi-regularly. I find it one of the hardest albums in the world to digest. I'll be honest with you. And you, part of the reason we're recording this as late as we are, you know, obviously it'll still be in the regular feed for everybody on Monday morning. But part of the reason it took a while is because I think you were struggling with it as well. Not, not in terms of appreciating it, whether you liked it or didn't like it, maybe you were, but more of a matter of like, just not knowing what to make of it because it was just a, it's just a ton of music kind of cramped into, to an hour or so. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty much what it is. It, it, It was, um, it was easy to digest. It was, it's just, it was hard to kind of like verbalize what I was yes. feeling about it. I, I mean, I've listened to it, I think six times now and I know, and I know that I like it. I'm just not sure I know why or how to, how to explain why. Um, it's it just going to be an interesting, sh- uh, just me kind of uh, like with babbling garbled nonsense, just trying to describe how I felt about this and how many things reminded me of symphony X and, and uh, maybe a couple other things. But um, I mean, I will say I did enjoy it. It's just, it was like really um, one of the most difficult albums that we've uh, we've recorded to just kind of like put into words, how I feel about it. Um, Even though I really did like listening to it. I, I I agree with you. I think it's a very hard album to discuss in many ways. I think it's hard to really pick apart each of the songs because they're not. It's not that they're all over the place. It's not like it's a you know some obscure jazz song. It's just there's a lot of density in the materials, but as dense as it is, I think the mix is absolutely pristine for twenty years ago. Every instrument pops just when and where and how, in my opinion, that it should. In other words, you never say, oh, the bass is too low in the mix. No, you, you hear discernible bass solos on this. The drums are, are obviously in the front, but 
you know, nothing gets drowned out. And you just, it, to me, it's a very clean mix. I've always thought it was like just a phenomenally produced and mixed album. Uh, that was one of my big takeaways. Uh, just that like it, it really sounded phenomenal. And, and you know, again, I'll keep probably uh, hearkening back to the, the Divine Wings era of Symphony X, but it was kind of in, you know, that was another album that I think for an earlier album really sounds to this day really sounds really good and this might even sound better than than that did um just uh granted it's a little bit older but um yeah i agree 100 percent um today was the first day i listened to the whole album with headphones and it was really just sonically pleasing the clarity was phenomenal Uh, like you said everything kind of shined through without overpowering anything else um just yeah, I, that, that's one thing I could put into words pretty well. Is that it sounds it sounds it sounds really good. Uh, no, no, no argument. And I'll just say this: I remember this album. As I said, it come out July two thousand and three. I picked it up at Prog Power Four, which was later that fall. Um, and and I remember buying the album and then hearing a couple of months later that they were announced, and then being so upset that I wasn't going to be there because I really fell in love with the band. And I picked this album up before I picked up Sanctus Ignis, which was the only album they had out at the time prior to this. And and for a while, it was just those two albums that I played on repeat for the beginning of law school. And then ultimately they would come out with Dominate in 2005. But I got to be honest, the band lost me a little bit with Archangels and Life. For some reason, I I think that those first three are kind of the classic albums with this being my favorite of the bunch. I'm I'm sure Reasonable Minds can differ, but... uh, yeah, I, I just have vivid memories of picking this album up in the vendor room and saying to myself, "What is, you know, like what is this?" And what? And to your point, why is Donald Trump on the cover? <laughs> None of it made sense. What? What? What was your, um, you know, when you pick up this album, what was your sense of, of the uh, of how it was received? Like, obviously, you probably had heard people talking about it, which led you to buy it. Like, what were you hearing, and what made you think that it was something that you would end up liking? I, even though I knew it was kind of neoclassical based, that wasn't why I bought it because listen, I, I love, I, I can still listen to Ingve. I know I, we, we kind of joked a little bit when we covered, um, you know, some of his stuff in the archives, but I, I enjoy that style in, in doses. But what attracted to me to this was that I knew it was progressive in nature. I knew that it had the keyboards, which I thought were a not only a, a phenomenal touch, but it's kind of very prevalent throughout most of these tracks. The piano, the the keyboards, the bells, yada, yada, yada. That was part of it. And number two, I was familiar with David Reedman's work in Pink Cream 69, and I love his vocals. I think he's just got such a clean, fresh sound that when you marry the two together, for my money, I'm like, I, I have to hear this because I love his vocals. I like that style. Let's see what it is. And I was immediately blown away. I, I, I said to myself, again, I, every time I listen to this album, I hear new things. And, and that's I'm going on 20 years. I don't say that often, but I hear new things every time I listen to this, probably because it's so dense, but really just because the, the music is so intricate that I feel like you can't completely appreciate it in one or 10 or even 30 listens. I think it's just something you have to keep going back to. So even though I listened to it a bunch this week, you know, I was hearing new things. It wasn't stale for me. Uh, that's, I like to hear that. And, and one of the things that I thought to myself was this is the kind of album where I think 
like the more I listen to it over time going forward, I'm probably going to look at it with more um, appreciation um, because Definitely. I feel like each time I listen to it, I liked it a, a little bit more. And uh, yeah, I will say like David Reedman um, is just one of those singers where when you find out he's a part of something, you immediately go check it out. Um, you know, he spent some time in Voodoo Circle, which was a band that, um, not so much a metal band, so to speak, but uh, it was started by a bunch of metal guys, Alex Bayrod um, in particular. Uh, i trying to remember if they had done work together in the past. I know they were on the, the Misa Mercuria album, which was like that random one-off like metal opera that I remember buying the, at Prog Power Dude. 3. Um, we got to talk about that album, not to really hijack the whole episode, but what an interesting conversation because of who's on that album, the fantastic songwriting, and it's just a blend of everything that was like kind of hot at that time, Band and Plus, Silent Force. I mean, it just had, I mean, again, conversation for another day, but that would make for a fantastic discussion. I yeah, think. I mean, just just to, um, I mean, just to name the, the vocalist, you had Andy Kuntz from... Uh, uh, from, help me out here. Vandaplus. Vandaplus, thank you. DC Cooper, who I believe was out of Royal Hunt at that time, but maybe had started with Silent Force. Um, yep. David Reedman, uh, Sabine Edelsbacher from uh, Eden's uh, Eden Bridge. I almost said Eden's Curse. That would have been wrong. <laughs> um, it, it, that was a, and it was a good album too. Like I, I remember it buying it for no other reason than for who was on it. Um, and it ended yeah, up because being... it was like the, one of the first supergroups at that time. Where now it's a dime a dozen, but at that time it was, you know, it was cool to see all of these singers that you know we liked on one album. You said, "How bad could the music be?" Yeah, and it could have. It had the potential to be disappointing based on who was involved, and it it, it really wasn't. Um, good, just uh, yeah, really good stuff. I I, I like that a lot. It, it's there were so many of those types of albums that came out after Avantasia and Arion, like kind of did it perfectly right off the bat. Like they were just great at it. Um, and so there over the years, I know like you've been like, I can't believe the names on this album and how the album is just so like, um, not that it's bad. Mediocre it's like, or... Yeah. Mediocre or passable. And it's like, yeah. Oh, what a bummer with that, that like lineup of people. Uh, this is not one of them. And yeah, I think that we should, I, I, I'm almost wondering like how many people are even familiar with it because it just kind of felt like it just kind of snuck in at a time and, and there was no follow up or, or and you like wouldn't that. go back to it because if you never heard of it, you would just be like, I've, you know, you, you wouldn't even know to check it out because it was such a one and done. Yeah. So, um, but anyway, yeah, circling back to David Reedman, um, that was another thing he was, um, involved with obviously he's been the longtime singer for pink cream 69 he was the replacement for andy darris uh who has been in halloween since 1994 so um you know he sang i don't think he's in the band almanac anymore but he was on their first two singles with um andy frank and uh who was the third singer uh jeanette uh marchuka who I don't think she was in any other um, metal bands prior, but uh, that was a really cool dynamic. Those three vocalists together, because David Reedman and Andy Frank obviously have very different 
vocal styles and then you add that female element into it it uh, worked though somehow those first two albums are pretty good i have to be honest yeah, with you i enjoyed especially that first one i enjoyed that album quite a bit um and then again he was uh he was this, uh, the vocalist for the first two adagio albums as well um but uh definitely a, a very well-known name in the metal and melodic uh rock community um He's uh, British, which I did not actually know. I kind of assumed he was German because he was in Pink Cream 69, but he's actually from <laughs> the UK. So <laughs> You're learning all sorts of new things today. I love it. Yeah, I don't know what um, the hell is going on. Uh, I guess he doesn't and, like being in uh, – he likes being in other countries' bands, like fr- French bands and German bands, you know? He finds – he's working his way around uh, all of Europe. But um, let's let's get into it. The album kicks off, and, and I'm going to be saying this a lot, but – Every one of these songs, for the most part, is an epic. And, and by that, I mean they're not short. They are long songs. And it starts off with a song called Next Profundus, which is over seven and a half minutes long. And if you had no idea what this album was or what this band was, I think this immediately tells you what this band is. And by that, I mean like they didn't ease their way into it. There was no introductory track. This track is just that neoclassical guitar from Jump Street with the keyboards behind it. And that is the driving force behind this band. Um, A touch of classical, a bit of prog, and then, of course, like we said, the smooth sounds of David Reedman on vocals. (laughs) And somehow it makes for this perfect marriage together. Um, It's this mid-paced song. And then when this with blistering solos, and I'm just wondering like your thoughts, because what I love about it is it has this build quality. It just seems to get bigger and bigger. And then you hear these like bells just in these, not, not overdone, but these bells that would just come out of nowhere and kind of add a little flavor or a little, a little seasoning to the, to the, you know, this mid pace song, um, which would only kind of slow down during the instrumental sections. And then of course the solos pick up and, and, I think this is like the perfect example of what this band is in many ways. And it's not my song of the week, but it it could be if you've never heard the band and want to just give this band like a fair shot, you could do a lot worse than this track. Yeah. You know, I actually, I actually had to like go back and check to make sure that there wasn't like a one minute intro. That was a separate track, but it's actually just part the first minute of this song. It just feels like one of those you know, late nineties, early two thousands, like minute long kind of classical style intro with, and you like right away, you could see like the, this guy, this, the, the guy playing the, the keyboards, uh, Kevin Codford is just like, obviously a wizard, um, with these like really intricate piano parts. Um, but then at that one minute mark, almost to the, to the second, it kicks in with that symphony X esque riff and then and and it's it's just uh you'd almost think you were listening to symphony x but then you know david reedman comes in and that it's a very different experience than uh than a russell allen uh per se i I would say maybe a little bit smoother and less um less of that little like like that angry that angry Angry rasp that that russell does also oh so well um God, my God, we have to make a list of every album we've talked about on this podcast that not, needs to be talked about in a separate podcast now. So we have uh, Divine Just from this Tragedy, episode alone. Misa Mer- Mercuria. Um, we could probably book all of September. Pink Cream 69. Yeah, but we'll book all of September just based off this one episode. <laughs> so if Adagio has done anything for us, it's this. Um, the uh, 
Encyclopedia Metalum or the Metal Archives uh, lists this genre of this band as progressive symphonic power metal, and and I mean, it's pretty spot on. I mean, it really does power metal. Yeah, I mean a little bit. I mean the same way that I feel like Symphony X has power metal aspects to it. While I wouldn't call them a directly a power metal band, they do have power metal influences, and being that this feels. A lot like Symphony X, I feel like it, it works. But yeah, definitely more on the progressive, symphonic, and like you mentioned, neoclassical side. So I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit embarrassed to say this, but earlier in the week, I mean very early on, I think maybe after your first listen, you said something to the effect of, and, and we don't go into depth about these albums beforehand, but you said to me like the Symphony X is clear or something to the effect of like the symphony X influence was clear. And I got to be honest with you. I don't think I ever noticed it, but now that you've said it, I can't stop hearing it. (laughs) And it's funny because I've heard this album a thousand times and I never picked up on it. But I, once you said that, I'm like, Oh my God, you're right. And I don't think that there's a better example of that than there is on the next track, which is called Introitis Salve Cyclum Infavlila. I have no idea what it means. I'm not going to pretend many that week, I have any idea. How many days this week did you practice saying that? I Every single day this week. <laughs> so I, I want to be clear about that. I Every single day this week. But the, the interesting thing, though, is here I don't hear Divine Wings. I hear the album five, the album that we actually did cover in the archives. Right. It has this operatic quality in the beginning with what I would only can describe as like Latin chanting, which is kind of cool and, and almost like castlevania symphony of the night kind of theme going on here but it's a really melodic tune with phenomenal drumming and these chunky guitar tones um that are great but never really deviating from that neoclassical sound um i like this song a lot i think that the heavy use of the snare drum is really really fantastic and i like that they layered the vocals in spots i think that that it plays off really well against the piano and the keys um, not my favorite song. I want to be clear. It's a solid tune with a very good chorus, but it's actually probably in the bottom half of tunes that I like on this album, but I'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah. I, the, the, just the symphonic intro immediately made me think of bands like Epica after forever, even, um, Mayan, um, you know, before the, before the scariness sets in. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, very, very, very symphonic. And then, you know, once again, about a minute and 25 seconds in, it, it kicks into that almost, you know, that, that very, it's the, I, I would be curious to know if the, the guitar is the same guitar that Michael Romeo would uses in symphony X. Cause the tone is just so similar to me. Yes. Um, but uh, again, this is like just another, um, this this just amalgamation of symphonic elements with um, just very guitar driven and and the keys and, and uh, definitely getting that Castlevania vibe throughout the song a little bit of that like kind of gothic creepiness. Um, I, I like this song a lot. I mean, honestly, I don't know that I would um, say that there are any songs on this album I didn't enjoy quite a bit. Um, I. Do you think I liked the, fir- the the previous and the following track a little bit better? Um, but um, I think due to the length of this song, this one comes in at a, a bit over eight minutes. There's um, there's a lot going on, a lot of different parts, a lot of different uh, instruments being focused on. Um, but uh, it's a solid tune and definitely, again, has um, 
certain parts that really uh, make me think of Symphony X. And yeah, I, I no no argument here. And then it gives way to yet another song that clocks in at nearly eight minutes, and that's Chosen, which we did briefly talk about earlier. This was the one song that you knew, and I guess knew fairly well from the album. I have some thoughts on it, but before I kind of take over the floor, how does it compare? How does the one song you knew compare to the rest that you kind of didn't know or the songs that you you were hearing for the first time? I feel like it, it fit right in. It wasn't like a, an outlier by any stretch. Um, I believe the, the main reason I know it the most was because um, this, this, I don't know. I don't know if you ever told this story, but we've been doing this podcast for a while. So it's possible that you did. And I just forgot, but um, you had told me a while, a few years ago that there was somebody that you worked with who was interested in the music, you know, that we listened to this kind of a little bit more uh, underground, more deeper world of metal outside of the Metallicas and uh, of the world. Um, and so you started out like trying to make it like, I think like, like one disc of songs that turned into two discs. I think by the time you were done, it was like four discs worth of, of songs. And you, I think you made a very conscious effort to only use each band once. Um, and I remember chosen, you actually used Adagio's chosen on that list. Um, and I ended up using that list as a basis for making a live heavy metal power hour uh, nice. with like just 100 different bands with one minute clips of each song. And, and I ended up using this song. So through the years of that, just repeating, you know, repeatedly coming up, it just kind of became stuck in my head. And so as soon as it came on, I recognized it um, immediately. Uh, I, I think because of that, uh, it's the song that just resonated the most with me. So uh, for me, it's it's going to be this my song of the week. Um, I think just because it's the one I'm most familiar with, and and um, it was the one like when I thought about the album this morning, I was laying in bed. This was just the song that I was able to hear in my head because I just knew it so well. Um, and I think it's really a excellent representation of what this album is all about as well. Like if you like this song, you're going to love the the rest of the album. So um, I was curious if you were going to choose it as well. Um, so now's the time to, uh, to tell me if you did. <laughs> I, I did not. And I'll tell you why, but let's give it a listen first. This is Adagio's Chosen.
I could have easily picked this as my song of the week. It's probably my favorite song on the album. It's probably my favorite song of theirs. I think it's the most accessible song they have. It's, it's so accessible that I almost don't, I never realized how long it was because in my head it was like, oh, it's five minutes, but it really it's, it's, it's a meaty eight minute track, but it doesn't feel that long. And I think that it has this gothic futuristic thing going on at the beginning, which is kind of interesting because they're polar opposites, but yet that's how I would describe it. I think the verses are really, really catchy and it might be the best chorus on the album, but more than anything, I just think that this is like David Reedman personified. I think this track is just emotional, powerful, but yet melodic and beautiful at the same time. And I just absolutely love certain things about the song. There's this little like piano keyboard interlude before the choruses, which is just like a really nice touch to kind of break things up a little bit. And even the chorus themselves has a bit of an Andromeda feel. And that's a band we have not talked about. But Andromeda was a prog metal band that was kind of popular, I guess, underground around the same time and very, very keyboard laden prog. Um, and, and I just thought that it was, I, I heard bits and pieces of that here. I just think it's a phenomenal track, but it was almost too easy for me to pick this song because going into it, I knew I could have done that. So I just decided to zag when everyone, namely you, expected <laughs> me to zig. So that's, that's that, but that, that's my thoughts. This is a fantastic choice for song of the week. I'm glad you picked it because it gives me another excuse to listen to it. Yeah. The, just that, the, that chorus with the, the drums are so, uh, like perfectly set in the mix where they're not too distracting, but they're also not drowned out. And then just that fast piano that is just like this guy, like just is, is obviously, like I said before, just the master of the piano. Um, So you have like this chugging guitar, these drums that sound fantastic, this like crazy fast piano with David Reedman singing, like all this just comes together and it's like, just a really, really awesome. I think the chorus is so catchy, and then very much like Symphony X would do. There's this really meaty solo section in the back half of the song where it's just like all these instruments just shining slows down a little bit. You know, like you know, it's a you know, it's an eight minute, almost an eight minute song. You gotta gotta make it interesting not do stain anger i know we rip on that album repeatedly keith we're still cheers to keith yeah we're still waiting for your uh, patreon uh request um so any day now um but uh yeah um i had a feeling that you would um choose something else just because i had a feeling you thought i would choose this so that it made, i did it made i sense. did i did and that's again zag when when one expects to zig uh, a song that I did not choose as my song of the week, another one, is the next track, From My Sleep to Someone Else. Although in retrospect, I kind of wanted to choose this one as well because I love this song. It has this really creepy piano intro, again, hearkening back to Castlevania, in my opinion. I think that it's like this could have easily been on Symphony you know, uh, Symphony of the Night or whatever that game was. Symphony X but, of um, the Night. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, very symphonic. And then... What I love about this track is that all of a sudden, this band, which has been, I don't want to say vanilla, but it's had the same style for the first three tracks. Here, there's actually touches of black metal all of a sudden, where they have these like screams and these blast beats out of nowhere. Really, really interesting stuff. But at the same time, the song overall, a bit slower, a bit like toned down. And 
it's just grown on me and grown on me a lot over the years. And I like, again, how it builds to the big chorus, but there are just elements of this song that remind me of Carrick Angren, which for those that don't know, they're a black metal band, but they're very theatrical, very um, almost movie soundtrack in their approach, despite being a clear black metal band. Um, I, I think this track is great. And, and the musicianship, musicianship is just obviously on full display. I'm wondering if you like this as much as I did, because to be honest with you, of the first four tracks, I think it's obvious that I like three of them a lot. And one of them is good, but not great. But the three out of four so far are, are real hits for me. Yeah. Oh my God. You just took the words right out of my mouth. Like the, the, which one, the creepy intro, the, uh, the, the, again, like the castle, the character. I'm sure yeah. you were going well, to go with the, Well, yeah. I was like, when I heard this song, I was like, is that David Reedman? It can't be. And, and sure enough, it's not. Um, it is not. But it is yeah. a singer from several black metal bands. It goes by the name of RMS Hridemar. Uh, I hopefully got that right. Um, who is a bla- in the black metal bands uh, Ba, Bais, Mahache, or something. And hopefully one How that's many- a little easier to pronounce. Gla- gla- glaciation or Glaciation. Um, How many days did you spend practicing trying oh my, to say those? I words? just did it in my head for the last eight, eighteen <laughs> seconds. Uh, but these are all <laughs> French black metal bands, um, so uh, that would make sense that there would be kind of a, a bit of a black metal vibe to it. But uh, kind of cool, like uh, giving David uh, a little break and letting a little bit more of a, of a creepiness, a little bit of a darkness um, sneak in there. And I think that that's where this kind of um, pulls away from from being like a Symphony X love letter and and giving it a little bit of its own, uh, just its own um, personality. Yeah, it's like adding a little paprika when uh, it's it's been salt and pepper the whole time type sure. of thing. Yeah, well, well put. Thank you. I, I always always apt for the food analogies. And and just when you think that the first half of this album couldn't be any more epic because not a single track was less than six and a half minutes. We get to the title track, which is nearly 13 and a half minutes. It is the epic of all epics on an album full of them. And it has this long, dark, symphonic intro that almost has like a video game feel to it. But not I don't hear Symphony X. I hear more like Final Fantasy or like a movie soundtrack. And it would be bef- it would take four minutes or so before the guitars actually kick in. But when they do, this is another Symphony X riff. I mean, this is like an ode to Michael Romeo in many ways. Um, but here, I don't I don't hear five. I hear this, I hear Divine Wings. To me, this is like straight off Divine Wings of Tragedy. Um, and maybe that's part of the attraction. But like here, I think the vocals are very dramatic, but not overly done. And, and I think the one complaint I have, and it's funny because I was referencing this earlier, but like... I feel like the whole thing is just one constant zigzag and you never really get like hooked into the song because it's all over the place. Although the chorus kind of makes up for it because that is very straightforward and and deliberate and and quite good Um, with this dark, slow, deliberate outro. I like the song. It's just one of the harder pieces to digest because it's all over the place when it's not the chorus. Yeah. I mean, it almost could be more than one song. Yeah, in yeah. a lot of ways, but yeah, like really epic, symphonic, in, and by intro I mean like the first like four minutes of the song is like this this build before um, you get to you get to like some of the more uh, metal uh, 
parts of, of the song. The, begin, the first four minutes or so is really um, almost entirely symphonic. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's still a really good song. I, it didn't lose me, which I was nervous about when I saw how long the song was going to be. Um, it, it, it made some of the earlier selections seem shorter. Or, well, obviously, it, they, they were shorter in, uh, in comparison. But um, just really good. Uh, I, I really enjoyed just the the chorus and the uh, the verses and all the instrumentation. It's a really meaty song, like you said. Um, kind of interesting that it was kind of placed like right in the middle of this of this album, or, or right somewhere in the middle. Um, but uh, this is one of the songs where I think for the first time I really noticed the Symphony X bass. Like towards, especially like during the chorus, you really hear that loud bass, and it sounds very much like the um, the bass from again that era of Symphony X. I got a, a definite uh, feel for that. I would really be really be surprised if if Divine Wings wasn't a, a big influence on this band. I don't know if if um, the previous album is a lot like this or has its own kind of flair, but um, this almost feels like this was like their love letter to that particular album. Yeah, I, I think that's very, very well said. To their credit, though, is, is all over the places this is, or, you know, and, and as long as it is, they follow it up with a very digestible five-minute ballad in, in many ways, and that's a song called Promises. Do you have any thoughts about this one? Because I think it's, I don't, I don't want to say it's an outlier. It's not, but it's certainly different than, than what we've heard before, although I think it fits with the whole motif. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say it's an outlier only because it's it's the one ballad on a song full of like these really uh heavy symphonic tunes um but it's just a really nice song it, it really um showcases david reedman's vocals which i think his voice is really well suited for a ballad type song just because it's such a smooth and, and pleasing sound um I know over the years, like Pink Cream 69 has had ballads that he's just really shines on. And this is kind of in that, in that vein, um, you know, kind of, uh, kind of basic, but, um, very good. And, and it, and even though it is an outlier for this type of album, it, uh, hi there. You do like it, Adagio. <laughs> um, I think if it, it, it fits, it fits the rest of the album, even though it's not another heavy you know, symphonic Castlevania, Symphony X, kind of, uh, you know, neoclassical metal song, but it's just nice. And, and I, I think that this album needed something like that to kind of just um, slow down the pace and, and not feel like it's just one long, hour-long, like, super heavy thing going on. This definitely gives it a little bit more flavor. I love the guitar tone on this. It almost sounds acoustic in many ways, but it's not. And I think the bass just sounds so tight. It actually reminds me of like a ballad that Ark would do, who we also covered in the archives. Um, I actually had this as my song of the week for a while, but it's just a little bit too different. And I didn't want to go with the ballad, so I went with something else. But I do love how it kind of stands out from the other tracks. Um, and and I, I love the piano outro. Very emotional. Good lyrics, a very, very solid tune um, on the back half of this album. But we do get to the the next track, which is my song of the week, and that's the Mirror Stage. Um, let's let's give this a listen before I even kind of shoot, you know, kind of segue as to why I chose it. But um, 
as we get towards the end of this album, the last real proper track, The Mirror Stage, is my song of the week. Let's let's give it a listen. Alrighty. Go back to like the 18th century. Take a big Victorian mansion and make it haunted. That's what this song is. It's a really cool track. Obviously, the neoclassical elements are going to be back on full display here. But there's something about this song that always makes me tap my foot. And for that reason alone, I wanted to like have people give it a listen. The verses are great, but the chorus is this big over-the-top sounding thing, which was really just catchy to me i think that there's one section where there's a, like a legitimate bass solo with drums underneath it i think that's awesome and the instrumental section itself with this just wild wild piano and a phenomenal guitar solo it has just about everything you want but with the exception of chosen and promises i would say it's one of the more accessible tracks on the album so it was a, it was really a no-brainer for me in, in many ways i wanted people to hear this what are your thoughts about the mirror stage I think that's, well, other than, yeah, I guess, like, other than than Promises, this is the shortest song on the album, and I think that, like, as good as Chosen is, this might be more accessible just based on the length, where it kind of, like, it, it, cram is the wrong word, because it doesn't feel crammed, but um, it, it, it fits everything into a smaller window, so you can really get a taste of what the band is all about without sitting there for almost eight minutes, I guess. Um, but yeah, I mean, I completely understand why you would choose this, uh, this song. It's really good. And, um, oddly enough, it's the, uh, there's, there's another eight minutes of music on this album and none of it involves any singing. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, and that's, that's the interesting thing. Now we get this ode, uh, to Norse Norse mythology with the with the final track called Niflheim. Well, I will and, and, and I will say one more thing about the mirror yeah. stage is that yeah, yeah, there's some really cool Middle Eastern vibes going on here, which almost is kind of like a a precursor to what Mirath would be, um, right? So it kind of makes sense that the keyboard player did play keyboards with Mirath on tour, but. Um, I thought of Knops when I heard this because I know how much he enjoys like those those kind of Middle Eastern um, vibes in in metal. So uh, Knops, uh, Def- check out Justin's song of the week if you if you haven't yet. But um, definitely, 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 which makes me think of another band we haven't covered, but that's high up on my list. So we'll we'll get there in due time. But um, Niflheim, the, the final track. Kind of an ambitious way to go out. Let's go out with an instrumental track that's over eight minutes long. Um, I, I don't 
have much to say about this. I think it's a good track. My issue is that it's not terribly memorable. I think it would have been better served in the middle of the album. Sometimes we talk about placement. I don't know that I would have ended with this. Um, there is a bonus track, or at least there is a bonus track in Japan. It's called Misa Eterna. I've never heard it. I don't claim to know it. So um, for all intents and purposes, this is how most versions of the album end. But it's 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 a good instrumental, but it's more of the same. I don't know that anything really jumps out at me, and I'm wondering if you agree. Yeah, I'd say that's about right. It's, it's almost just like this really beefy outro you know it's like you're yeah, like let's yeah, just yeah. let's go out but let's go out like huge like just this big you know eight plus minutes of, of of just you know symphonic like just you know everybody just kicking ass on their instruments as they do um you know i was always curious what niflheim is all about and it turns out that it is uh in norse cosmology it is the the world of mist or literally the home of mist because uh, Therion has a song called Niflheim. There is a black metal band called Niflheim. Um, so it's obviously something that um, a lot of metal bands have, have picked up on. Um, you know, you know how much some metal bands love mythology. Um, so I don't know what, uh, since there's no lyrics, I don't know like what the connection of this song has to do with that. Um, we'd probably have to ask somebody who was in the band, um, I don't know. Did you think about Mist when you listened to this song? I did not. Um, but uh, yeah, just a really solid way to go out. Um, did you find it to be a little bit um, like going out with a whimper instead of a bang sort of thing because there was yeah. no vocals? or or It's not even so much the vocals as it is. I think that the Mirror Stage is just such a good song. For obvious reasons, I, I, I picked it as my song of the week that if you would have almost flopped those two songs or kind of changed the order, you go out with more of a bang as opposed to a whimper. And I'm not saying that it takes away from the album. At the end of the day, the music is still the music. But it's it's very ambitious to end the to end this album full of epics with another epic with no vocals. I, I, I just thought it was interesting the way they did that. Um, and I wonder if it would have been better served, you know, higher up in the higher up in the card, if you will. Um, you know, it's funny. I just pulled up uh, uh, some of the reviews for this album, and, and I, I'm just going to take a, a, a little bit of a passage from a, uh, a reviewer named um, Writhing Chaos. Uh, they wrote this review um, seven years ago, and, and this is just a portion of it. Um, they said, and before some of you out there scream Symphony X ripoff, let me clear the air about that. This is in no way a ripoff whatsoever. Yes, of course there is an influence of said band, but these guys have a much more obvious orchestral and classical influence that Symphony X ever than Symphony X ever did. There's a great deal of the use of counterpoint on this album with the keys and the piano constantly complementing one another, creating a very dark atmosphere which is almost majestic at the same time. So I thought that was kind of a nice way of putting, separating the two bands from, uh, from being that. And I think we kind of were saying that as well is that there's enough that set this band apart that even though it feels like a love letter to symphony X or the divine wings era, it, it's not, it, it's definitely, I would not, definitely not call it a ripoff by any. No. Sport. And that goes back to the fact that had you not said it, I don't even know that I would have, necessarily picked up on it although 
again, now I can't stop thinking about it, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's not, it's not a ripoff. You would never say, Oh my God, Adagio Symphony X clones. It's not that. Although there is clearly some influence there. There's no question about it, but it doesn't permeate all 60 minutes of the music. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I I so, enjoyed this quite a bit, although I will admit, like, the first time I listened to it, I'll be honest with you, I was just kind of like, I didn't know where one song started and the next song began, um, other than Chosen, obviously, but um, I, I ended up really enjoying it. Uh, for me, it is a, uh, a seven point, uh, I give it a 7.875. Um, That's a high score. That's higher than I thought you would have said, yeah, to be honest I just with think you. It was, I just think it was that that good uh really solid it needed to marinate with you yeah yeah i mean i probably would have given it like based on the first listen i probably would have given it like a 6.5 but it it definitely grew the more i listened to it i'm even listening to it right now as we speak and i'm just it's just a really enjoyable album that said you know i would probably give divine wings of tragedy a very a much higher score based on fair enough yeah based fair on enough. the nostalgia and just it being an all-time classic prog metal album but um I, I like this a lot. Um, how about you? A solid eight. It's not perfect, but it's a really good album, much higher than average. And and to be honest with you, just something I keep going back to, whenever I hear it, it makes me want to go back and listen to their other stuff. I know Sanctus Ignis very well. Um, there was also a live album that came out a year after Underworld called Alive and Upper World. Um, and it's quite good, um, although I think it might benefit from some touches in the studio that helped it along, but it's, it's a really cool album. It, it basically features material from this album and from the Sanctus, the debut. So worth, worth checking out if you're a fan of live albums, but it's a solid eight, very, very good album. Um, and, and something that I just always enjoy going back to. I, so I think that that's the biggest compliment that I can give it. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. I could definitely see myself going back and listening to this as, as has been the case with a lot of albums that we've done on this podcast that I didn't know beforehand. Um, just, uh, it's always fun. Like when I, I was actually just, um, looking at my iTunes and there was like the queue of everything was shuffled and there was just a, a random blue murder track in there. Nice. I've been like, Oh man, I haven't listened to this, uh, since we did the episode. Um, so it's just, you know, just more stuff to, uh, Add to the pile of, of years and years and years of songs that we, uh, we've we listened to and enjoyed. But um, yeah, this was a great choice. I, I had a feeling this would would come up at some point, um, but uh, I don't know that I would have expected it uh, within like the first 200 episodes, just considering there's like, you know, bands we haven't spoken of or or the fact that we haven't done, we did this before Divine Wings of Tragedy. So who, who had that on their bingo card? Got a zig before you zag. I I, I want to just mention a few news items, which are not not only interesting but also kind of like bands we've covered in the past. So some some especially with some live dates. Two bands we've covered in the past have both announced tours this week. The first being Tool, who's announced their fall North American tour, which kicks off September twenty second in Louisville, Kentucky then ends November 21st with two nights in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. These guys are coming up to Rochester November 6th. If you're available, go check them out. They're very good live. I I would highly recommend it. Uh, And in addition to Tool doing their typical arena tour, uh, Overkill, never never strangers to the road, are going out on a U.S. tour for about three weeks. They're starting out in San Francisco on July 13th 
ending July 30th in Huntington, uh, Long Island. I got to be honest, I would have never gone to an overkill show. Hell, I left the one overkill show that I went to where Sonata Artica opened. But after kind of digesting the new album, which I thought was very, very good, and also, you know, obviously doing the deep dive into them, you know, some months ago, I kind of want to go see Overkill live. I, I don't know that I'm going to make it this Paramount show, but I'm going to try. I, I think it would be an interesting band to see live. If they were um, playing more locally, I would probably consider going as well. But uh, if you go, I look forward to hearing your thoughts about it. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And uh always like doing reunion news. So I got one other bit for you. Uh, but the progressive metal legends watchtower are reuniting with their original singer they're doing a show october 6th at the keep it true rising festival in germany and apparently there's also rumors that the band may get back together and record a new album this band has been together for like 40 plus years and are one of the first american prog metal bands along with dream theater and Queensryche and some of that early fates warning material but they're back in business and this is a band that i've actually considered choosing in the past for the podcast i'm not the biggest fan but i do recognize the fact that they were pioneers in many ways and i think it would be a really interesting conversation to talk about some watchtower especially now that they're back together yeah this is uh, not a band i am familiar with this is the band from texas uh, I believe that is right. I know they're an American band. I couldn't tell you exactly where they're from, but I, I believe that's right. Yeah, they only have two albums. <laughs> yep, but they're like legends. You know what I'm saying? Like, they're, it's one of those bands that they have two albums, but people still talk about them 40 years later. Yeah, um, it kind of makes me think of um, the band that, um, uh, you know what? I'm just going to have to. Oh, Sanctuary. Reminds me of Sanctuary. Yes. How, like they only had a couple of albums in the. Uh, was it the early or the late 80s and early into the early 90s, this, those Sanctuary albums? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before Nevermore was a thought in anybody's mind. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I remember like, because I remember being surprised when they were announced as a headliner for Prog Power. And then I would go and look and they're like, this band has two albums. Like, they must have been really, they must have been really good albums if they uh, <laughs> are headlining off of, uh, of two full albums. But, um, yeah, they they ended up uh, coming back years later, making a new album. But um, you know, unfortunately, War Dane passed away. Rest in peace. Um, uh, Nevermore is a band that I think is another one we've uh, talked about uh, that we haven't discussed yet. That's I imagine going to happen sooner them later I, we've had i think more requests for a nevermore episode than just about any other band on the podcast yeah to be honest i'm really we've curious where how i'm gonna feel because that they're, they're a band that i've always thought were good but i never quite understood like the obsession um so i'm hoping that maybe really digging into one of the albums i might feel differently I uh, I will definitely choose them in in and I kind of have some ideas about that, but I've been putting it off, putting it off, putting it off. But that that is that is coming to a close. I, I assure you. So, but uh, in due time, in due time, I, I I think it'll be a really really interesting episode uh, to say the least. So we'll get to some Nevermore. We'll definitely get to some Watchtower and about twelve other bands that we mentioned during this episode <laughs> that I think we're now due for an episode for. But um, in light of all this, what are we listening to next week? Yeah, so I mean, ba- just due to the chaos of of this week for me and uh, everything that's going on, um, I mean, let me just say between the the Ted Lasso finale and my sister's wedding, I don't know that I've 
cried so much in one week in my entire life. But uh, I went with something that I knew would be a, a, a an easy an easy listen for the both of us. Um, and it's a band we've covered previously. We covered their first album. Um, uh, we're gonna do uh, Sonata Arctica's second album, Silence. Um, their first album, Ecliptica, was uh, an album that we covered. Let's see, going back to um, July of 2021, so almost uh, two full years ago. Uh, we both gave Ecliptica a 9.5, so we'll see where um, Silence falls uh, in that comparison. Um, I always thought this was a really interesting follow-up uh, to Ecliptica, because I feel like the band was showing more uh, more maturity and, and it wasn't um, just a straightforward you know melt your face off power metal record there's a little bit more nuance to it so we'll- the songwriting improves and I think that that without kind of spoiling it I think that like the highs are amongst the highest of the highest of the highs and then there's a couple of like duds that would kind of be a precursor to what would happen. <laughs> 10, 12, 15 years later, it is a, it is a really interesting album. And I, I, I look forward to talking about it with you because I'm curious to see if my duds are some of your favorites and vice versa. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious what, what songs you may be referring to. I can't, I don't think I've, I don't think I've listened to this album start to finish in a very, very long time, but I do remember when it came out just like really being really excited about it because of how much I loved the, um, how much I love the, the debut. Um, we, you know, we'll also talk about um, the the successor EP, which came out in between Ecliptica and Silence, because um, there's not really a ton of st- new songs to talk about, but there are a couple of covers and um, a couple of cool live tracks. So just for the sake of completion, uh, we'll talk about that since I highly doubt we'll ever do a full episode on, on it, on a Sonata Artica EP. Um, and, and we'll, and we'll talk a bit about this, some really interesting bonus tracks and B sides. Sonata Artica has some really great bonus tracks and B sides over the years. I think you could make an album of Sonata Artica, just B material that would be better than a lot of bands, best albums. Um, they released another EP around this time as well called, um, orientation, which was kind of like, I guess, it, you could consider it a, a Black Sheep single, not literally the song Black Sheep, not a Black Sheep of the family, um, <laughs> with a couple of cool like um, a couple of cool uh, covers and an acoustic version of Mary Lou, which was a bonus track from the previous album. But just the band just came out with a lot of material um, in the time between Ecliptica and before Winter Hearts Guild would come out. So we'll, we'll try to cover all of that because it all kind of falls within about a year span. Um, but uh, I just figured this would be an easy one to talk about because I bet you you could go back, listen to this album once, and then everything will just come rushing back. Nice. I, I think this is going to be good. I look forward to it. And uh, we'll be uh, moving through the summer. So for all those that want to make requests, 
please join our Patreon. Uh, it is found in the link below this uh, this podcast. So we look forward to having you check that out. If you like what we're doing and you're not interested in joining the Patreon, please give us a like, a follow, and a five-star review if you think we deserve it. And uh, we will be back next week with some uh, Finnish power metal when the band played Finnish power metal. So I look forward to, I look forward to that. Uh, I know it's been a busy week for you. Enjoy the week, my friend, and I will catch up with you next week. Yeah, sounds good. And a reminder to um, a few of the patrons um, that haven't put in a request, uh, just let us know whenever you're, you pick something. Uh, we, we keep everything uh, in our handy dandy spreadsheet and um, we have, uh, we pretty much have our requests all lined up for the next, um, the rest of the year, uh, which is great. Um, I, I think I, and I literally just added one for January of next year. Uh, we have a, a couple of new, um, couple of new patrons, uh, so doing well. And and I guess we officially um, moved some of the uh, perks down the line. So if you um, if you were on the uh, the five, ten, or twenty dollar tier, check the the patreon because you may have some new uh some new perks that you didn't have before um but uh yeah lots of good stuff to look forward to um we're gonna probably get start ramping it up into prog power mode in, in the near future we have some bands we want to talk about that are playing at the festival and, and uh some other special things we have planned so um yeah it's gonna be uh it's gonna be a fun summer i'm l- looking forward to it and uh i'd say uh Adagio was a, a fun way to kick things off. I like it. I like it a lot. Enjoy, enjoy the week, my friend, and I will talk to you soon. Have a good one. All right, take care. <laughs>